Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the MLEX podcast. Today, we're coming to you fresh from the 2023 Global Privacy Summit of the International Association of Privacy Professionals in Washington, D.C. And wow, has it been an interesting and exhausting few days. My name is Mike Swift. I'm MLEX's Chief Global Digital Risk Correspondent, and it's great to have your company today. Joining me for today's program is Amy Miller, who covers state-level privacy issues for MLEX from San Francisco. Hey, Mike. Madeline Hughes, who covers Congress and federal privacy issues here in Washington. Hi, Mike. Jen Bryce, who writes about emerging technologies for MLEX in San Francisco. Hello. Claude Marks, one of our FTC Watch staff who rounded out our IAPP team. Hi, Mike. And Jakob Krupa, who's based in London and writes about future mobility and other data protection issues from Europe. Hi. It seems like every year the Global Privacy Summit gets bigger as it grows alongside the legal privacy industry, and that was the case this year again, when we had the biggest GPS ever. This year we didn't quite have the star power of Tim Cook of Apple, but we did have Max Schrems, who was on relatively good behavior this year, an engaging talk on artificial intelligence from FTC Commissioner Alvaro Badoya, and just a whole lot of chatter about the world's famous, most famous chatbot, ChatGPT. This year, MLEX also did exclusive interviews with two newcomers to the global privacy regulatory scene, Canadian Privacy Commissioner Philippe Dufresne and South Korea's new privacy chief, Ko Hak So. There were so many really interesting uh, themes of this year's conference. Um, one that was a little surprising to me was how after years of so much talk about how um, uh, the U.S.'s privacy standards didn't quite live up to Europe's, we're suddenly hearing the word convergence over and over again, where we're hearing from officials on both sides of the Atlantic that they are highly uh, optimistic about the future success of the EU-US uh, data privacy framework, which is supposed to restore the legal basis for transatlantic data flows. But there are so many other things going on. And um, Jen, why don't we start with you? Um, what were some of your key takeaways from GPS this year? Yeah, so there's obviously a lot of talk about potentially privacy intrusive innovations like ChatGPT, but I also heard about tech solutions like privacy enhancing technologies or pets. And the U.S. Ambassador for Cyberspace, Nathaniel Fick, as he was talking about multilateral regimes of international stakeholders, said that the private sector is a big part of that, and policymaking works best when technologies like pets are baked into policymaking from the beginning. And I saw a bit of what he meant by that at the Pets panel, where a director of privacy policy for Meta, Cecilia Alvarez, said it's a bit unclear how concepts like anonymization, transparency, personal data apply to pets under the GDPR, and different jurisdictions really interpret these technologies and the legal basis for anonymization differently. Meanwhile, um, Stephen Almond of the UK Information Commissioner's Office said we're at really at an inflection point for maturing pets, and some of the standards and investment that they need can come from regulators, but much of it really needs to come from within the industry. Uh, so overall, it sounds like tech companies and regulators pretty much agree that while pets are increasingly important, technology can't replace strong governments when it comes to privacy and data protection, which I'm sure, of course, makes everyone think of the U.S. Um, and lack of federal data privacy law. Yeah, we had a lot of interesting, you know, conversations in the sidelines, and we heard from some folks at Meta just a few hours ago how important these pets are going to be, that uh, they're not like a tangential uh, development. They're 
critical to the business model going forward. So that was an important thing. So Amy, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, how California's regulators are going to divvy up enforcement? Ah, yes. Well, not surprisingly, the emerging patchwork of U.S. state privacy laws was a running theme across several sessions. Uh, Iowa recently became the sixth U.S. state to pass a consumer privacy law, and speakers were trying to predict which states would be next, and they predicted uh, red states mostly. And there was a lot of discussion about new state laws in California and Utah aimed at protecting kids online and some of the First Amendment issues that type of legislation poses. But uh, California was the first U.S. state to pass a comprehensive consumer privacy law, and a session where California privacy regulators were discussing their enforcement priorities was standing room only, and I'm pretty sure the conference room could seat more than 600 people. I had a hard time getting a seat. Uh, and Deputy Attorney General Stacey Shesher and Ashkan Soltani, he's the Executive Director of the California Privacy Protection Agency, talked about how they'll coordinate enforcement of the California Privacy Rights Act. And um, the CCPA's enforcement authority is going to begin on July 1, and the agency just completed its first round of rulemaking. So uh, both agencies are going to be enforcing the law, but they're not really twin agencies, Shesher said. They're going to be focusing on different areas of enforcement with the CPPA focusing on administrative issues and the AG focusing on lawsuits, civil enforcement. And uh, the AG is also more likely to handle more complicated cases that involve multiple statutes, not just the CPRA. And one interesting thing that they said that struck everyone was that the AG's office is going to have a slight advantage. Um, if for some reason the agencies are both investigating the same company for potential violations, uh, the AG's office is going to have dibs. Yeah, that was really interesting insight because we've been like asking for months, like how are these two regulators going to work together, right? And this was really the first time we got in a clear sense of that. Really. I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. Hopefully there'll be good fights, like a la the DOJ and the FTC. Uh, we'll see if that happens. Well, they say they're eager to work together. Yes. So we'll see. How they, that say. they say. <laughs> they say. Claude, you also uh, were following some of the California regulators. What did you learn? California was kind of interesting. They're, they're uh, worried, given the political, given the fact that the United States is very polarized politically, they're very concerned that if the federal government were to step in and do a do a national privacy law, well, it will it will it would overtake the very strong law that California has passed, and that's very problematic. Especially one of the California Privacy Protection Agency board members, Lydia De La Torre, said she was especially concerned about the issue of reproductive rights because the California law has a lot of protections in terms of that kind of data, and she's afraid that other states do not, and that if Congress preempts for state laws, the national rule might be that of sort of, of the weakest states. And what's interesting is that California has passed a very strong law, but several, but several more conservative states have weaker have weaker laws that don't that don't go as far as California does in terms of protecting personal data on abortion and, and other uh, other health matters. And what's interesting is that the U.S. Congress has not been able to pass comprehensive privacy legislation in part because of disagreement about whether such a such a law would would preempt strong state laws. And uh, Delatory and her fellow board member, Alistair McTaggart, who spearheaded the passage of, of, of the California privacy law, feared that without preemption, the national center would align with the weak states, not with California. And as for what they wanted out of Congress, McTaggart said that any law should, quote, preserve the best parts of big tech while protecting people from the vagaries of it. Mm. What that means, obviously, remains to be seen, depending on whether the very divided Congress can actually get get something done. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know if anybody else 
noticed anything differently. I didn't hear one whiff that there's any possibility that a federal law is going to pass anytime soon. No, I think people are hopeful because that preemption is an important thing that um, a lot of companies especially want to settle and they want um, something that is at the federal level. Uh, but preemption, private right of action are still going to be two of the biggest sticking points, especially with a Democratic-controlled Senate and a Republican-controlled uh, House of Representatives. So that is going to be where the fights are right. on this coming Congress. Yep. So we definitely do not want to leave the view here that the this is the Global Privacy Summit. It's not the U.S. Privacy Summit. There was a whole lot of regulators and a whole lot of action from uh, other countries around the world. Jacob, um, you were really paying attention to a lot of that stuff. We're now noting that the GDPR is now a toddler. It's five years old. It's, it's up and causing problems, waddling around the room. And uh, uh, tell us uh, what you learned at the, the GPS this year. So as I was about to say that, obviously, you know, GDPR is about to turn five next month. And there's been a lot of talk about what do you expect from a five-year-old child. And, you know, it's, I think it's about time... <laughs> Because it was Elizabeth Denham, the former UK Information Commissioner, she said, oh, it's, it's a toddler law, we can't expect too much from it. But now the toddler starts talking back, I would say, and starts fighting back and showing teeth to all of us. <laughs> uh, we've had over 2.5 billion euros in fines so far, over 1,500 different fines. And there was a great special report from MNEX on this a couple of months back from my colleagues in Europe. And obviously, when you think about the impact of that, you've had some massive fines to Amazon in Luxembourg, Meta, a range of fines now in Ireland, uh, WhatsApp as well in Ireland. But even with all these fines, it feels like 2023 may very well be a turning point. And European Commission is now looking at a proposal to tweak procedural rules. And that's something that we've seen in the past as a problem for regulators when they had to talk to each other, quite often fight with each other and disagree, and that would cause lengthy delays to procedures and to, to enforcement. And much to the frustration of the Irish Data Protection Commission, who was eager to act and was getting you know, all sorts of criticism for not acting. And then they were like, it's not even us, it's all the others complaining about things we just want to get on with it. So they're trying to streamline that. And I think that proposal will come during summer, and that may very well change things. And I'm not just saying that because that's what we're hearing from EU officials. That's one thing. Obviously, Andra Jelinek, so the outgoing chairwoman of the European Data Protection Board, she would say that, right? Wouldn't she? Mm, that the GDPR definitely. will get better now. She said that that would unleash the full potential of the GDPR. So the toddler is going absolutely on loose. Uh, but also <laughs> commission officials like Karolina Moisesovic, they were all like, yeah, it's going to change a lot. But when you hear that some that same stuff from Max Schrems, who's got no interest in being kind to regulators, he has over 800 cases open across Europe, and he's constantly bashing most of these regulators anyway, and he goes, you know what, actually 2023 may be the year everything changes. I think that's, that's why we need to start paying attention. And he said these changes, procedural changes, but also the new collective redress directive coming up and court decisions on stuff like less tangible stuff, like emotional damage under GDPR, this all could lead us to a whole new place when it comes to enforcement. And it comes at a very interesting moment because at the same time, the UK says, well, you know what, we're going to change the GDPR ourselves. We're going to make it more tech-friendly. So we will see how that goes. We have discussions about data transfers. So... I've certainly been busy this week, but I expect a lot, of, a lot more work for all of us in Europe covering all sorts of stuff that's going to happen with GDPR, both in the European Union and the UK. So one of the highlights for this week was huddling with regulators, including the new Privacy Commissioner of Canada. Before taking the reins at the OPC, Commissioner Dufresne spent 14 years with the Canada Human Rights Commission, ending with the, as the Commission's senior general counsel. 
And he uh, sat down with us, with Maddie, Maddie and I, a, a few days ago to talk about his views about the government's proposed legislation to update Canada's two-decade-old national privacy law. We asked Commissioner Dufresne to tell us something, first of all, about the strengths and weaknesses of the proposed legislation, Bill C-27. We'll be making some recommendations. I will be proposing some areas for uh, strengthening. Um, but uh, I have also said that I welcomed the introduction of the bill, and it's, it's a needed modernization, and I, I've specifically welcomed the aspects that pertain to my office in terms of the additional uh, tools with order-making powers and the possibility of recommendation of fines for, for a tribunal, because these tools of remedial tools, enforcement tools, are the, the first thing. They're, they're, in fact, the last thing you want to have to use. You want this privacy breaches and privacy practices that are not consistent with the act to not happen in the first place or that they they can be identified early on and talking about trust talking about uh, privacy by design talking about uh, a culture of privacy i've called for privacy impact assessments to be a legal requirement in the context of government activity and when the government uses new tools for law enforcement for instance uh, but those tools are uh, are very helpful in terms of focusing the minds of decision makers. And so I look at this from a from a privacy champion, uh, but I also look at this as a, as a senior executive and as a decision maker and as an employer myself. When there are legal requirements that have uh, specific implications and, and, and consequences, they tend to be uh, top of mind and prioritized, and that's absolutely uh, what should happen for privacy. We talked to the commissioner the same day Canadian authorities announced an investigation into chat GPT. Canada, like many other countries, is concerned about the privacy implications used by the language learning model and the information data that is put into it. Um, the parent company, OpenAI, has yet to give regulators much of a sense of what that input is, which he's concerned about, and so are other regulators across the world concerned about. The concern is whether the, the practices comply with privacy legislation in terms of the use, uh, collection, disclosure of personal information without consent. So that's the information that, that we've shared at this stage. Uh, we're going to be looking at that uh, in detail and have more to say. Under, under the legislation, we don't always make public an investigation until it has concluded. But I have uh, determined that given the very high public interest issue in this instance, that this was something that it was in the public interest that uh, that that was uh, that that was made public, and that that citizens are are aware that the the institution is seized uh, of the issue. But as at, at this stage, it is only an investigation; it is not a it is not a finding. But I, I think it is important as part of that trust that uh, Canadians and individual everywhere see that well there's a regime and there's a there's a governance for these types of practice so besides talking to commissioner dufresne from canada we also sat down with south korea's privacy commissioner ko hak so to tell us more about his approach to artificial intelligence and chat gpt yeah and that was a nice scoop that we got um when we asked him if the country was investigating uh chat gpt and uh he did confirm that they are and so um, this comes after, in 2021, South Korea was one of the first countries that actually banned another AI chatbot, Liluda. The application drew its training data from text messages, 
and gave people really bad outputs. You can imagine what information is in text messages. Uh, there was some unsavory uh, words that were being used, um, but there was also personal information like bank account numbers that were coming through the chatbot, which Whoa. that obviously is a lot of issues. Um, so Commissioner Co wants to focus on what information gets put into these AI chatbots and that is his biggest concern with these moving forward. And here's what Commissioner Ko had to say. AI in general these days, it's all about data. So uh, from my perspective, there are kind of two avenues that we need to look at. One is how you collect data uh, and build your training data. Uh, and from there, you build up your AI model. And the other area is uh, once you build your model, you somehow uh, uh, start uh, uh, servicing and, and people begin to use your product. And what if part of the output contains uh, uh, personal data or somehow personal information is revealed? And with um, uh, ChatGPT, we don't really know. I mean. They uh, uh, provided very general um, uh, information as to how they collected data and how they built uh, the AI model. Uh, we are trying to uh, find out a bit more uh, details uh, as to you know how they built uh, their training data, whether uh, the data or how much of the data contains uh, data from uh, Korea, and whether or how many uh, Korean users they have, and if any, uh, there have been any incidents uh, that deserve uh, further examination. So we're kind of trying to uh, find out a bit more of the details as to what transpired. And listening to the Korean Commission, it feels like there's a regulatory race between Europe, you have Italy banning ChatGPT the other day, investigating, meeting with them and trying to understand how it works. You have Korea, you have Canada. It'll be interesting how they, whether they work together, for example, on this. What can be done in this space? So I'm sure we'll be coming back to that. Yeah, well, and they actually, um, Commissioner Ko did mention that he was um, talking to Italy um, right before they came out with their ban. And, you know, especially conferences like this, that's where all these commissioners get to talk. And um, so that is going to be interesting seeing how things uh, pan out from here. And that's where we'll have to leave it from the 2023 Global Privacy Summit of the International Association of Privacy Professionals in Washington, D.C. Today, we've been speaking to Amy Miller, Jen Bryce, Madeline Hughes, Claude Marks, and Jakob Krupa at MLEX. We'll be publishing a special report with all the best of our coverage from this year's conference. You'll be able to find it at the MLEX website, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's mlexmarketinsight.com. As for this podcast, we'll be back with more regulatory coverage after the Easter break. Today's program was produced by James Paniki. It was published with the assistance of MLEX Media Team in London. And our executive producer is Richard Thompson. From me, Mike Swift, and everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thanks for listening. See you next time.